Matthew chapter 5. So we have uh, been in, we're, we're working through the Sermon on the Mount. And um, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is, is teaching us the way. What is, he's, he's essentially making his case for the Christian life. He's laying down the foundation, giving us the case. This is the way to live. It's, and in the beginning of his sermon, he sort of gives us what you would put on the calling card for a Christian. We call it the Beatitudes. These first, you know, ten verses or so, it's the Beatitudes. Blessed are these blessed things. And so we have gone through, blessed are the poor in spirit. That is the gateway. We came through, blessed are those who mourn. And now we are in verse uh, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Matthew 5, 5. That is our text for this morning. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Just a few words. Don't have a whole lot to say there because there's not a lot of words there. So what I'm going to do is take you back to the Psalms. Psalms 37. (laughs) The reason I'm taking you to Psalm 37 is because Jesus is basically quoting Psalm 37, 11, when he says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I say that he's basically quoting because it's not an exact quote. So let's, let's read Psalm 37, 11. When you get there, say amen. amen. Well, that was quick. You guys know your Bible. All righty. It says, But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. So you'll see a slight difference. But the meek shall inherit the land, Right? Now, the Hebrew word for land has multiple meanings. It can mean land, it can mean territory, it can mean area, it can mean earth. But here, it means land, it means the region, the territory. The psalmist, or in this case, it was David that is writing this this particular psalm, he is referring to the land of promise, or the, the promised land, the region that's been promised to Abraham and the descendants of Abraham when God said, I'm going to give you this land, the land flowing with milk and honey. It's the land that was reaffirmed to Moses and Joshua, this land they were to go in and take, the land that had the giants in it. You remember when the the spies came back and said, oh, we can't take it, but Joshua and Caleb said, yes, we are able to take it, this land that was so rich in blessing that the Lord had promised them. But if you'll notice what Jesus says, when Jesus quotes the text, and it's it's really a quote, words matter. Jesus knows the Psalms, and he knows them backward and forward. He knows the Word of God. He knows it. (laughs) He wrote it. (laughs) He quotes the Psalms more than once, oftentimes in his ministry. He even quoted the Psalms while he was suffering and dying on the cross. Very famously, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting Psalm 22. It's a direct quote. It's the first line of the Psalm. You know, when, when, uh, they, when the, the Hebrews uh, were learning the Psalm, they didn't have numbers for the Psalms like we do. That, that was added much later for us because we're 
We're ignorant and we need numbers to find things. They, they, they learned the Psalms and they identified the Psalms by the first line. That's how they knew the Psalms. And so when Jesus said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He's identifying a Psalm. That was a way, that was a pointer for them. He was directing everyone who could hear them to that Psalm to say, this is what's happening, guys. He was showing them this is being fulfilled before your eyes. And so everyone who's here, when he says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, they know exactly what's happening. So he doesn't quote it verbatim. He changes it up a little bit. He brings their attention right back in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. He brings their attention right back here to Psalm 37, but he changes it up a little bit. He, what does he do? He expands the promise. He goes from part to the whole. Right, And this is, this is absolutely, completely consistent with what we know of Jesus Christ and the manifestation and the revelation that we have that is in Jesus Christ. The law gave us part, right? Christ gives us whole. The law satisfied in part. It only appeased for a time. It could only do for a time. The law would only satisfy for a little bit because you had to keep doing that sacrifice every, every year over and over. It could only appease for a little bit. There was a period of time. It was only functional up until a part. But then Christ comes along. Guess what? There is no more sacrifice for sin. Christ satisfied fully. Christ fully fulfilled. Christ is the fulfillment of the law. Christ did away with it all. He fully satisfied. My wife and I, we had the, the great privilege of being able to go and spend the better part of last week at a conference where the focus was the book of Hebrews. The central theme, if you bold Hebrews down to just one theme, three words, they nailed it. It's just, it's Jesus is, is greater. And the, the focus of the conference was the book of Hebrews. And so it was like a three-day intensive on the book of Hebrews. It was wonderful. Jesus is greater. He is the, the greater high priest. He is the greater covenant. He is the greater sacrifice. He is the greater shepherd. He is the greater hope. Jesus is greater. I should be doing this. Jesus is greater, right? He's greater. And when Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, what's he doing? He's giving us a, a greater blessing, a, a greater promise. It's not just the land or the region that becomes our inheritance, but the whole earth. And you know what? It's not even that. It's not even that. It's, it's much greater. It's so much greater. He goes from part to the whole. And when I say whole, when I say whole, I mean complete, lacking, lacking nothing. You know, you could own every square inch of the planet. You could put your stamp on it. You could have the deed to it, every square inch of the planet, and it still be incomplete. Amen. Amen. Jesus gives us something greater. He is the greater blessing. But before I get into all that, because that's, that's the end, that what's, that's what comes next. Before I get into all that, we need to go back through the psalm to see if we can figure out what it means to be meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit 
the earth. We need to get an idea of what Jesus means when he says that we should be meek. Let's see if we can learn from the Psalms what this meek person is. And why would we go back to the Psalm? I mean, don't we have a definition for meek? Well, we go back to the Psalm because Jesus is quoting the Psalm. And that's exactly where he directed them when he said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That, I mean, we have to read the Bible understanding and trying to, to understand it the way that they would have understand it. We do it a great disservice. We do, we do violence to the text when we try to lift it off the page and say, what does it mean to me today? Without understanding, what did it mean to them then first? Does that make sense? Okay. So, we're going to take a look at why it's important. Well, why, what does it mean? What does it mean in the psalm? And then we're going to look at why it's important, so very important for us to desire to be meek, to pursue this trait in our own lives. And then finally, we'll look at what that greater blessing is. I may have to really hurry. Okay, so meekness in the eyes of Psalm 37. And I believe in the eyes of Psalm 37, in the eyes of Jesus as he preached it. So in Psalm 37, verse 11, we see that the meek will inherit the land, right? We have these building blocks, if you will, in this psalm. Uh, they are kind of stacking up on each other until we get to this statement in verse 11. And that's kind of a turning point in the psalm. If you read the whole psalm, there's a turning point here where the, the psalm kind of changes talking points. It kind of changes focus. And so we go from these building blocks and instructions that build upon this, that build up to this statement about the meek who inherit the earth. And then in verse 12, we see a sort of shift. It kind of shifts into proclamations about the Lord and the judgments for the wicked, generally speaking. Okay? So we go from building blocks in the first 11 verses, like we're just talking about, you know, building blocks up to what it means to be meek. And then in verse 12 and forward, we're proclaiming things about the Lord and then judgments about the wicked, generally speaking. And there's, that's where the tone and the tenor of the psalm seem to shift. So it seems to me that David is building kind of a lyrical case. This is a psalm, so it, it would have been a hymn. It would have been something that they would have sung back in the day. A, a, a lyrical case for the meekness here, and Jesus knows this. And he knows that his people know this. All the people in the crowd, they were Jews. They would have been very familiar with the Psalms. This is their hymnal. When they gathered for worship, this is, this is the book they would have gone to for worship, the Psalms. So this is something very familiar to them. They would have immediately recognized what he said, and they would have recognized this, and it would have taken their minds right back to this Psalm. So it serves us well to do the same, to go back to where Jesus is referencing to get an idea of what it means the case that David is building for meekness. So verse 11, the meek shall inherit the land. But if you go back up to verse 9, you will see that those who wait will also inherit the land. 37, 9, for evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. So, so building blocks, right? Building blocks. Um, meek people are people who wait. They have patience for the Lord. They wait for him. Now, these two things together, waiting and meekness, they come at the end of a list of other things. Let's look at what else they are. Going back to verse 1, let's work our way down. He says, fret not yourself 
because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. So meek people are people who do not fret. Now you might be wondering, what does it mean to fret? Now when I first read that, I thought fret means to worry. Is that what you think? Means to no. <laughs> the Bible definition of fret is to be hot, angry, agitated, to burn hot. That's what the biblical definition is. You go to a Baker's Bible Dictionary or any other biblical dictionary, that's the, that's the context of that word. When it's translated from the Hebrew, that's what it means. That's the, that's the context that they're bringing it from. How often do we get ourselves, so in other words, to get worked up. How often do we get ourselves worked? Because look at what it says. Fret not who? Well, fret not yourself. Who's getting fretted? Who's, who's being fretted? You are. Why would you fret you? You're fretting yourself. Fret not. You're getting worked up. That's what it means. You ever gotten worked up? Over evildoers? Who's the evildoer? People that are doing stuff that you think they shouldn't do? How often do we get ourselves worked up because of what someone else is doing? Boy, we just get agitated, don't we? Oh, we just get so worked up over what other people are doing. And we could almost, I mean, it happens all the time. We could almost excuse ourselves for being, and, and he says, don't get worked up. Fret not yourselves over evildoers. He says, don't get worked up. And we could almost excuse ourselves for getting worked up when when the evildoers are doing things that actually impact us. And I'm, I'm, being, I'm not being lighthearted about this, but, you know, the evildoers, they cheated me or they robbed me. And do we have examples of this in the New Testament where the, the, the Macedonian Christians, Paul is writing to them, and they, they were robbed of their things. And he says, you, you received the plundering of your property with joy. They didn't get fretted. They didn't fret themselves over it. How do you receive the plundering of your property with joy? There's only one way I know of to do that, and that's through Christ. That's not natural. That's certainly not human. Right? Evildoers curse us and mock us. And that's, that's later in the text in Matthew where Jesus says, Rejoice in the day when they revile you and curse you and mock you. And here in the Psalms, David says, don't fret because of evildoers. It happens all the time to good people get treated poorly. We see it on the news every day. Some elderly person is just walking down the road and gets punched. And we're told not to fret, not to get worked up into a... Because of evildoers. And yet David says, don't get worked up over it. He says, keep your peace within you. Don't lose your peace. Don't lose your self-control. Maintain your self-control. More often than not, though, what happens? We tend to fret over those things. We tend to lose our peace. Peace goes flying out the door. And we lose all self-control. Let someone cut you off on the road, and what happens? Let someone take your parking spot, 
in, in the Walmart parking lot and what happens. And those are trifle things. Let some of these real things happen to you and what happens. We want to get worked up about people doing things that have nothing to do with us. We just don't like what they're doing. They're putting their garbage can too far over into my property line. We get real worked up about that kind of stuff, don't we? Fret not. And David says, don't get worked up over it. Look at verse 2. Why? For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Instead, what ought we to do? Instead of fretting ourselves over evildoers, verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. So the meek people trust in the Lord. We don't fret over things. We don't get ourselves worked up over things. What do we do? We trust in the Lord. And we do what is good. So we're helpful to others. We're like the good Samaritan. We do what is right and just and helpful. We are helpful to our neighbors and we do good to others around us. We do good. We could say we're do-gooders. That's not a bad thing to be a do-gooder. I hope that people would call me a do-gooder because I do good. I help people. What else are they? They are faithful. Or another way to put it is they are trustworthy. They are people of integrity. What did Jesus say? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. So what comes out of your mouth ought to be trustworthy. What comes out of your mouth, ought to, people ought to be able to trust you. So they trust God and they can be trusted. Right? He, remember, these are building blocks. He's building a case for what it is to be meek and inherit the earth. The land. Verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So they have the strength that comes from serious joy in the Lord. I want you to think about the gentle people that you have known in your life. All the, the truly gentle people that you've known. Think about a gentle person that you've known. Now gentle is not the same thing as being soft or weak. I've known some soft people. I've known some weak people. That's not the same thing as being gentle. Gentle people. Would you ever characterize a gentle person as being sad or depressed? No. There's a warmth about them. They have a warmth about them that just draws you into them. Right? There's, just, there's a joy. They may not know it. They may not have a name for it. They may not realize it, but there's a joy within them that just draws you into them. Meek people have an inner joy that comes from delighting in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, this doesn't mean that when you delight yourself in the things of God and when you, 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 make, you cast your affections upon God, that he will start giving you the things that are on your wish list. It means that he will change your wish list. So you, you, do you see? He will change the things that you wish for. 
Your wish list changes. And oh, how great that is. Skip down to verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not over the one who prospers in his way or over the man who carries out evil devices. So be still before the Lord. We're to be, we're to be patient with God. Can I tell you that we are way too impatient with God? Oh, my goodness, we're so impatient with him. I think sometimes that because we read on one page of the Bible that God promised Abraham a son, and then we turn over to the other page uh, and we see that he had Isaac, that we tend to forget there were 25 years that happened in between there. 25 years of waiting in between there. You know, it's just a turn of the page between the ending of Genesis and the beginning of Exodus, but it's 400 years of waiting and suffering for the Hebrew children while they were in in, uh, Egyptian bondage. God does things on a big time scale. And sometimes it's a lot of waiting. Not always, but sometimes. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. God holds all things in his hand. And he is, Romans 8, working all things together for our ultimate good. Even in our present crisis, even in our present trials, so still yourselves before him. That's why the psalmist follows this up immediately with fret not yourself. In verse 8, we see, again, a recurring theme. In verse 1, we're told not to fret ourselves, but to trust. In verse 7, we're told not to fret, but to be still. Here in verse 8, he says, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourselves, it tends only to evil. Don't fret, stay away from anger, forsake wrath. And we're given some additional information because fretting tends only to evil. So getting worked up, getting excited and irritated and angry about things that are out of our control, what does it do? It tends only toward evil. Now there's a recurring theme here in this psalm, don't you think? You see this recurring theme, getting all worked up about stuff? And it's something that that a lot of Christians, those who are meek, those who are to inherit the earth, should be known by All of us Christians should be known by being meek, by not fretting, by not getting worked up. And what do we see Christians doing today? Oh my goodness, we get so worked up. I'm getting worked up. (laughs) Christians don't get bent out of shape because our trust is in the Lord, our hope is in the Lord. Our joy is in the Lord. Let me just, we have a, at work, uh, sometimes I have, to, I have to get up really high on a, we have a lift, and I'm, I have, we have projectors, and I have to get up in the ceiling, because I'm, I do, if it plugs into the wall, it belongs to me as the IT guy, as the director of technology. I have to go, and so that's my, that's my domain. And so I have to get on this lift, and it's a telescoping lift, not a, what do you call those that have the 
The scissor lift, yeah, which I would much rather have one of those because they're more stable. This is a telescoping lift, so it goes up on a pole, right? Just a single thing. And you get up 30, 40 feet in the air, and it's doing this bit, right? And I hate that thing. So I'm up there, and I'm wobbling like this, and I hate to do that. And I'm, it's just shaky. Goodness gracious. I hate that. And I, I can get real worked up up there. Amen. But... But when, when I'm, my feet are on the ground and I'm on something solid, I don't get real shaken. It's real hard to shake me. Christians don't get shaken because we have something solid to stand on. Amen. Yes, sir. But can I tell you that you don't have anything solid to stand on if you don't get it in you? You, you, have to un, you have to get to know, you've got to feel the rock underneath your feet. Most people are hovering way up here, but they've never put their foot on the rock. Amen. Amen. Because what you're hearing from me right now is the only rock you're getting. And you've never gotten to get your foot. You've got you to read it. You've got to feel it. You've got to get in there and get your foot on the, the rock. Okay, we'll move on from there. We don't get bent out of shape because our hope is in the Lord. Our trust is in the Lord. Our joy is in the Lord. And he is our, our strength. You may be thinking, well, Brother Jeff, I thought that meekness was humility. I thought that meekness was gentleness. I thought that's what meekness meant. Well, yeah, it is. Those are definitions for meekness. Those are, are good Bible definitions for meekness. If we were to define it, we'd have to use those words. But how do you characterize those things? How do you characterize uh, gentleness? And how do you characterize humility? How do you define humility and gentleness? Well, what are those traits? I think Psalm 37 tells us. It gives us a good look into those things. Let me see if I can summarize these things for you very quickly. So, so um, you know, according to Psalm 37, and we're using that because that's where Jesus is quoting. And that's exactly where the people in his audience would have gone to in their minds. And it's important that we know this for good Bible reasoning, good Bible reading, and good Bible understanding. It's important to know this. This is where Jesus went. This is where his audience would have gone. And that's where we've got to go if we're going to follow the right trail. So according to Psalm 37, what was in the minds of the people? What was in the minds of Christ for meekness? Meek people are characterized by these things. Number one, patience. They are patient toward God. And if toward God who often moves over decades, then certainly they are patient toward people. Right? They're characterized by joy. They delight themselves in the Lord. The Lord, the joy that produces gentleness. They have a calmness and a sweetness about them. They have self-control and peace. They don't get bent out of shape over things or worked up over things that they can't control. They don't get bent out of shape over evildoers or over things that are in God's hands because they trust in the Lord. They are faithful. They tell the truth and, are, and they are people of integrity. They are full of goodness. They do good to others. What's interesting is that we see this same list of attributes listed elsewhere in the scriptures. We see it in the New Testament. You may have heard it called the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. 
Now, these are not just some items that we need to check off of a list that Paul has given us. I have joy, I have patience, I have faithfulness, so I've, I've got a few of those and I'm good. This is not, not how that works. There is one fruit, but the fruit of the Spirit, and it's all of these things. The Christian isn't just one of these things, he is all of these things. He or she is meek, which means loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, gentle, faithful, and self-controlled. Let me show you that I'm not just doing a play on words. I'm not just arguing semantics, fruit versus fruits. If you'll turn to Matthew eleven twenty-eight, Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Jesus is speaking, and he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The main focus here, for me anyway today, is he says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. This is Jesus talking, and he is describing his heart. And what does he say? I am gentle and lowly in heart. Come to me, take my yoke upon you, learn from me. Why should we learn from him? Because he is gentle and lowly in heart. What should we learn from him? Gentleness and lowliness of heart. The Greek word that he uses here is praes. This is the exact same Greek word that he uses when he preaches the Sermon on the Mount. Um, in fact, if you have a King James Bible, it says, I am meek and lowly in heart. The reason uh, for the change is to make it easier to understand. Meekness and gentleness in English often go hand in hand, as do meekness and humility. It's just a limitation of the English language, not the Greek. The point is, it's the same word, both spoken and written. So when Jesus said it, in both instances, he said the same word. I am, he said, blessed are the meek, praes. I am gentle, praes, and lowly of heart. So what can I say to you, church, but that this is the very heart of God, that we be meek. That should prick you in your ear. It should prick you in your heart. It is the very heart of God that we be meek. Gentle refers to an attitude isn't that what he says? That's his heart. I am gentle and lowly in heart. Amen. Gentle is his attitude. That's his, his attitude towards others. Lowly is, is a station. But they are both conditions of his heart. They're both a character of the inner person. 
Why is this so important for us? Why should we seek this? Why should this be at the top of our prayer list for ourselves? God, help me to be meek and lowly. Because it's the very heart of God. I don't, I don't know what other answer to give you. Amen. Amen. But I'm going to try. <laughs> Look at James 1, verses 19 through 21. I just have a few minutes. James says in verse 19... He says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save souls. So why does James tell us to be quick to hear and slow to anger? I mean, apart from the obvious reason that he gives in verse 20, that it doesn't produce the righteousness of God. I guess the the better question would be, why doesn't anger produce the righteousness of God? I mean, God gets angry. Why is it that if, if we are quick to anger and quick to speak and slow to hear, which is the opposite of what James said we should be, if we are quick to anger and quick to speak and slow to hear, why doesn't that produce the righteousness of God? Well, the answer is because those character traits are contrary to the character of God. God is not quick to speak, quick to anger, and slow to hear. Psalm 103, the Lord is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide. He's slow to speak. He will keep his, nor will he keep his anger forever. That's his character. So James says that we have to receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save our souls. Receive it with meekness. I find it interesting that he pits our receiving the word with meekness over against things like being quick to anger, quick to speak, quick to speak up, quick to hear, slow to hear, quick to speak up. Things that are opposite of what meekness is. Things that are opposite of the heart of God, the character of God. We receive the word of God with the heart of God. Church, we have a lot of Christians running around, especially in this last year, during the election season, during this pandemic, during times of government overreach, admitted restrictions, and all the things that are troublesome to us and they need a great reminder of why this is so very important that we be meek because they're not representing the heart of God in their fretting in their great fretting online offline in the grocery stores on the highways and byways What does that step on your toes? (laughs) Christ has called us to have his heart. He says, this is my heart. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit. That's not an a la carte selection for us. We don't get to pick and choose. It is the heart of God. Meekness in his people. He is, Christ came to create such a people 
that would look like that In Christ, we have a better promise. I began with that. I want to finish with that in the few minutes that I have left. So turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, and I'll be done in just, just a couple of minutes, if you'll just bear with me very quickly. Peter says, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. I've got to stop just there just for a second. If you have a King James that says he has begotten us again, in either case, he did it. Jesus did it. We don't have any claim to our salvation outside of the work of God. Peter says that this is according to his great mercy toward us. God is merciful, meaning that that we are guilty and we deserve judgment and he has compassion on us. Paul puts it this way. We are saved by grace through faith. And this is not of our own doing. This is the gift of God. That's Ephesians 2.8. By grace. Grace is the agent of our salvation. It's the working, effective power in our salvation. You may say, oh, but Brother Jeff, I've got faith, so I did it. No, I can tell you that faith, that's the plug that you plug into the wall, and you can plug in a wall or to a wall all day long, but if there's no power in that wall outlet, you ain't done nothing. It's just a conduit. It's the same with faith in God. We can have faith, all the faith in the world. We can believe with all of our might. But if God isn't who he says he was, if God wasn't the God of all grace and mercy, then none of my faith would matter. Praise be to God that he is steadfast in love and unshakable in mercy toward us. Because while we were yet sinners, while we were still enemies against him and we deserved his wrath and judgment, he gave mercy and grace to us. He showed perfect love toward us in that Jesus Christ died for us. And because of the completed work of Christ, who is the final, once for all, the better sacrifice... Because of that completed work, God split the veil in the temple. He rent it from heaven to earth, the veil that divided God from man. And now we have full access, grace poured out, the power to save, grace that is unearned, unmerited, undeserved, unwarranted favor. We didn't earn it. And whether you want to call it grace, you want to call it mercy, as Peter does, either way, it's not what we deserved. If we earned it, if we deserved it, it couldn't be called either grace or mercy. And this takes us back to the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You remember I told you that I believe Jesus began with that one because it is the gateway to the kingdom. It has the biggest promise, the, the kingdom of God. We come to him broke, destitute, poor. We have nothing to lay on the table, nothing to offer, and he gives us an eternal kingdom. Amen. 
So back to Peter's words in verse 3. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. And here's the key. An inheritance that is in... This is the better promise. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. The Bible says that the grass withers and the flower fades. You all know it. You know it. You've seen it. Everything you plant's going to die. Every tree, from the, from the little tiniest thing to the mightiest oak, it's going to die. Everything that's built will rot and decay. Stainless steel someday will rust. Everything will fade, but not this inheritance, not this earth. This inheritance will never fade. It's an unfading inheritance. That's why I said it's not even about the earth. It's not even about going from land to earth. It's not about going from territory to the whole thing. It's bigger than that. It's full. It's complete. It's never ending. It's everlasting. It's a new heaven and a new earth that he has given to us. And it is being kept for us until that day when he comes again, when Christ returns. Oh, what a thing. Oh, what a glory. What a glory we have. When death is defeated and hell is defeated and sin is defeated, what a day. Revelation 5 and 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he sent, or he went and took the scrolls from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain. By your blood, you ransomed a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures, the elders and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. We will be made a kingdom and priests to God. And we will worship Christ who sits on the throne in eternal kingdom and in eternal never fading, never dying, never ending inheritance. Praise be to God. Blessed are the meek. For they have the heart of God. And they have an eternal inheritance. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. 
I thank you that you are God. Blessed be your holy name. Lord, I, I think of all the Beatitudes, this one is probably the roughest and toughest. It's tough for us to follow. We get so prideful sometimes and we just want to fret and we just want to act out and we just want to get <sighs> agitated. Lord, I pray that you help us. Help us to be gentle and lowly. Help us to have your heart in the world with people who will see us as reflections of you that they may see us and know that there is a God who loves them. They may see us and want to know more about you. Lord, this we ask in your Son's name, our Lord's name, who right now, even now, is seated on his throne, who makes intercession for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.